you said you don't really follow the March Madness. The March Madness. I know. Abs- I'm a huge sports fan, mostly hockey, a little bit of baseball, absolutely nothing about basketball. Yeah, but- I went to one game, I think, in Toronto way back in the day. But I don't know. For me, it just feels like the more points that a team can score in a game, the less exciting it is because there's not that, you know, they scored. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Basketball back and forth, score, score, score. I don't know, it just doesn't do it for me. Well, you're, it's all basketball's all about the final like two and a half minutes. Everything, That's true. Everything <laughs> up until then is watching the stars on the court, which is why something like basketball. Did you have courtside tickets when you when you went, or were you up in the oh, nosebleeds? No, or, yeah. See, with basketball, especially NBA, well, in college too, you really got to be close because when you have a court full of like seven foot tall giants running around in front of you, it's whoa, this is crazy. Until you're like uh, Jack Nicholson uh, and you're sitting courtside every Lakers game. <laughs> It's just, it becomes routine at that point. No, but it's the beginning of March Madness, which is like, I think, the most bet-on sporting event in America, at least. Uh, A bunch of crazy upsets already today, uh, things like that. I follow it a little bit here and there. And the Villanova Wildcats, who are right here 30 minutes from me on Villanova, uh, well, just outside of Philadelphia, are a number one seed in the country. They're not, they're not the overall number one seed, but they are one of the four number one seeds, which is uh, super cool. I don't know how far they'll make it. I mean, they're a pretty good team this year, obviously, if they're number one seed. Um, but Kentucky is kind of where it's all happening this year when it comes to, to basketball. So much respect to the Wildcats. Not that that means a thing to you, Howard. <laughs> not a, Does Colorado have a team? I don't know. They do. They, they do. I, I, I think they got bounced in like the, the preliminary rounds leading up to the actual tournament. I think there was like a Colorado State team or something. I don't remember. I don't. Again, I don't follow it that close. I think it's the Rams or something like that is what they're called. But uh, you do know it's played. That was true you do not. know it's played with an orange ball, though, right? I do. I, d- I used to uh, play basketball. I was terrible, but yeah. Well, so there you go. <laughs> so what is this? Episode six of the Week Geeks podcast. We're up this to is now. Six, six Episode in a row, and we're going to be on time this week. Yeah, this we're going to be. Yeah, we'll be on time this week. There's no no Bahamas that I'm getting back from, and no no anything happening on your side except keeping the pups quiet. Mm-hmm. You might hear them bark from time to time. <laughs> yeah, so... So this is the We Geeks Podcast, episode number six. And as always, we are brought to you by Squarespace.com. If you haven't checked out the WeGeeksPodcast.com website, I don't know what, what you're doing with your life. It's probably the best website ever existed. <laughs> yeah. But that was all created completely on Squarespace in a matter of... I don't know, an hour or so. Yeah. Super simple, super customizable. They've got mobile-friendly templates, which is going to be very huge next month when Google starts ranking mobile-friendly websites higher than non-mobile-friendly friendly websites. And you can sign up for 8 bucks a month. Sign up for a year in advance. You get a free domain name, which is always fun because those could be pretty pricey. Not the first year. You can get those cheap, but... Yeah. Afterwards, it's kind of price. Yeah, that's where it, they get you. It was funny, actually, speaking of Squarespace, yesterday I was talking to a client who's now an ex-client of mine, which are always fun conversations, mm. um, and he didn't want to go with doing a full website, and I said, well, what I can do is I can, I can go ahead and I can set you up with Squarespace, um, and you know, here's how much it costs per year if you're going to buy a whole year, sort of breaks down to per month, and I'd be willing to, you know, when I get together with you to, to get the final payment for the work that I had done, I'd be more than willing to just set up the Squarespace site for free. That's how easy it is to set up. And uh, he called me back last night, and he's like, I didn't realize you were talking about just some generic, you know, website you were going to build, you know. And I said, number one, it's not just some generic website. There's a lot you can do, and there's a lot you would be able to do, not even being super tech savvy. And 
it's so easy to do. I was willing to walk in and do it for nothing. <laughs> so how can you complain about that of all things that could be complained yeah, about? Really? But it's, it's so easy and it's so inexpensive, you know, to get it, um, you know, eight bucks a month, 16 bucks a month, 24 bucks a month. It's, it are the three kind of pay rankings. You can pay month by month. You can pay uh, for a full year. If you pay for a full year, you get a free domain. There's a discount code. It's we geeks, correct? Yep. We geeks. And, and you get a, an additional discount for that. So, and, and even if you're not interested, in that you can sign up for seven days no credit card no obligations nothing just go check it out it's there's there's no reason not to if you have a website if you have a portfolio anything like that um, it's great they've got a great blogging platform which can be important for the SEO and building up your website and everything like that if you're concerned about not only building a website but getting it out there for the good people of the world to see so and if you guys do sign up and take advantage of our discount Tweet us either at Iceflow Studios or at Tutvid and show us the website you built with Squarespace. We're going to be putting some of these together and we're going to be tweeting them out and getting them out to the world to see. So you never know. You can get some decent traffic. I do have a story about domain names in a second, but I do also want to thank our $25 patron over at patreon.com slash wegeeks. That's Valdis or Valdis. I still can't pronounce his name. Valdis. And he's on DeviantArt at K-A-M-I-S-1232.deviantart.com. Go check out his artwork. And thank you so much. And if you guys do want to contribute to the podcast, make sure we keep going. Patreon.com slash WeGeeks. Um, so domain names. Speaking of domain names, I've been trying for the longest time to get Pinsky.com, which is just my last name, .com. I have PoweredPinsky.com, which I use for my blog. But Pinsky.com has been sitting completely empty. And I, I can see you're looking this up right now, Nathaniel. You go to Pinsky.com, you get nothing. Not like a landing page, not like a parking page, nothing. And I've tried so hard through different domain buying services to get this thing. And finally, they got back to me. I guess I was going through GoDaddy. And they're like, yeah... We want $5,000 for it. Hello. I'm like, are you are you serious? You haven't updated this website in 10 years. You've had it since 96. <laughs> I can understand if you're doing something with it, but you're doing nothing. I, want, I would even offer them like one or $2,000, but not $5,000 for a website. No one's doing anything with it. Supply and demand, baby. Just a just a, not a fun side story. Yeah, that's crazy because I actually haven't looked at my last name, but I have looked at my full name, and I've never really been all gung-ho about getting it just because it's like 27 letters when you put it all together. So mm. it's been sort of like I can figure out other ways around uh, websites uh, and things like that. Uh, but I did try to reach out to a guy. He's like a lawyer out in Michigan or something. I can't remember. Uh, but it was yeah, it was like twenty two thousand bucks or something he wanted. I'm like, Psh, forget it. For what Nathaniel you know? Dodson? Yeah, Nathaniel Dodson. Seriously? And it's just like at least last I checked, the the website built on it was like it looked like you know like 1998 called and yeah they want their design back. Uh, but is is there like Pinsky dot ca or cd or whatever the Canadian? There are a few of them. There's one that I really want. It's p i n s dot k y. It's in Cayman Island, so it's. Just Pinsky with a dot before the KY. Um, but there's a big pin, pin company. Oh. What was that? <laughs> there's a big pin company that owns it from the Cayman Islands. <laughs> it's, it's available, but apparently you have to prove that you are you have a business in the Cayman Islands. They have restrictions on this domain oh, name, okay. which is so disappointing because I would love that domain name. Yeah. You, but yeah, hmm. yeah HowardPinsky.com was very easy to get because I've only – I've actually met a Howard Pinsky, which was the strangest thing ever. But um, – 
the way it went down. But yeah, that was pretty easy. But I don't use it for very much. But Pinsky.com is nice and short, and I would like to transfer things over there. But right. Yeah, so is. that's that. So I guess moving on from that, if you wanted to move to the Cayman Islands, if there was an Apple store in the Cayman Islands, uh, you may be able to uh, lease or buy or whatever space uh, above the Apple store. I saw this article earlier. I was talking to you about it, Howard. Uh, you can live above an Apple store for a price. Mm. And what kind of price is this? Well, they're looking for – this is just to have the an apartment inside an Apple store building. So, you know, you got everything right there below you. For an offer over USD, this is in US dollars now, $495,000, uh, you might win the bidding to live oh. above the Brisbane, Australia Apple Store. So if you've ever really? wanted to be an arm an arm breadth away from the newest iPad, iPhone, or the uh, Apple Watch when it comes out, hey, just under half a million could net it for you. You know, I've worked at an Apple Store. And you could not pay me $500,000 to live above one. They are some of the craziest, busiest stores with such high traffic that I've ever been to, let alone worked at. It just, it just would not happen. I, I've never been to Australia. It looks like a beautiful place. They have yeah. massive spiders, which I would probably not <laughs> enjoy very much. But I don't, I, I don't know. I, just, I don't see the benefit or the – I just don't see why anyone would want to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it takes Apple fanboying to a totally different level. It does include uh, one space in an underground car parking garage. Oh, okay. Forget so, it. I'm sold. Right, exactly. It's totally <laughs> worth it. Um, but yeah, just kind of an interesting little story that I that I came across uh, earlier in the week. So yeah, I wonder Howard. if they uh, I wonder if they accept for their payment Facebook messaging. Uh, Facebook messaging. <laughs> yeah, they, I I don't know. That would be a lot of money to keep in your bank account. You probably need some sort of. Uh, some sort of uh, approval to transfer that sort of money. Actually, just a quick side note, um, speaking of transferring huge sums of money, I saw this documentary, I think it was one of these ESPN documentaries about some guy that tried to buy a, the New York Islanders uh, here in the US, and he basically was a total con artist, made himself out to be this rich guy, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But the interesting thing was, they talk about, you know, once it gets to a certain point where you're willing to schlep around 495,000 bucks, they a lot of places, a lot of organizations. Now, not maybe not for half a million. We're talking, you know, in the, in the multi millions when it comes to buying the Islanders. And this guy was purporting himself to be a billionaire. It's it's almost like I mean, imagine talking to Donald Trump and saying, "We're gonna run a credit check on you. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna make sure you're good for that." It's almost insulting, right? And you're afraid you're gonna lose the deal. Um, so if you have five hundred grand to slap around, uh, it might it might be easier to buy the place than might than, buy a few than one may Apple imagine. Watches with that. Yeah, but no, like you said, Facebook. Uh, this article came out a couple days ago. I actually saw it uh, through a friend of mine who works through Facebook on his Facebook feed um, that he was congratulating the team of guys who worked on it. Uh, Facebook announced a payments feature for its Messenger app, uh, which I actually I actually love the Messenger app. I use it quite often. Um, I did. I, find it much better than the messaging the messaging capabilities of the Facebook app itself. But I've always kind of been a guy, I've never liked using Facebook on my phone. And I don't know why. I feel like if I'm going to make a response to somebody on Facebook, I don't know. I, I feel more comfortable typing it and being able to reference things online. And I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. But yeah, payments feature in its Messenger app. Do you use any mobile paying stuff? I know it's come up a number of times even in the podcast already. And you know I've talked about it a lot just personally in the past. Yeah, I don't use much. I'd use Apple Pay as much as I can because I think that's quite fancy and very secure. 
Um, I use PayPal from time to time. But in terms of those micro payments that Snapchat had at some point, which I haven't heard anything since it was released, so yeah, maybe no, that didn't either. do very well. Uh, Snap and cash. now the Snap Cash or something like Snap, that. <laughs> something like that. And now apparently Facebook has one. I don't see I'm trying to send you money right now. I don't see an option to do that. So maybe it's not rolled out to everybody yet, or maybe I have to enable it somewhere else. But it's one of those things that I don't think is going to do very well because there's so many other options out there. Like, like again, PayPal, you can very quickly send money. If you have a simple bank account, you can send money that way. I think Chase has something like that. Most of the bigger banks nowadays, you can very quickly, instantly send money to somebody. And to be honest, I don't know if I would really trust Facebook at this point with my money. Yeah, but I mean, maybe it's just me being stupid. Yeah, I mean, the article here says uh, Venmo which I've used a few times. A mobile payments app owned by eBay's PayPal unit is perhaps the most direct competitor to Facebook's new offering. Popular with young users, it's not just a payment system, but a social network that allows users to post public or private messages about what the money is for. Uh, They also reference Square uh, and Snapchat. Um, However, Facebook, with its service, wanted to simplify the process as much as possible. Uh, we know that conversations about money are happening all the time, which is a little creepy. I don't know if that's just conjecture, if they actually have hard data to back that up. But uh, So they're talking about how simple they're going to uh, keep it. By using debit cards to handle the transfer, the money can move fairly quickly between the two bank accounts while allowing Facebook to offer the service free to users. Unlike PayPal or Venmo, you don't have to remember to withdraw the funds later. So it looks like it's going to be more of like this direct bank-to-bank transfer kind of service. Uh, which is interesting. Um, however, I want to see here if I can find in the article uh, where it was talking about essentially it, some people are saying that it looks like it's now uh, almost Facebook trying to grab a bunch of debit cards as well. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, I would which, be surprised. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, it, to reduce the risk of an authorized transaction, Facebook said users must en- enter a PIN or use Apple's fingerprint identification system before they can send the money. That's nice to know, I guess. Um, but you know, you're still punching in all of your information with Facebook and if Facebook has ever been at a a time in its history where we don't really trust it handling our information, isn't it right now? I mean, isn't, aren't we kind of at like a lull as far as, eh, Facebook, I don't know if I want you handling this. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would either. And I don't think, it, is this out yet? Cause I don't, it seems like it might be out, but I'm on the messenger app right now and I don't see that it's, little money button at the bottom, so maybe it's... Yeah, I mean, according to... This is a New York Times article, and the, it leads off by saying, Facebook's instant messaging service isn't just for sending smiley faces and photos anymore. Now you can use it to send money instantly to your friends. So oh, well, there you go. Yeah, interesting. You can link your debit card and boom. What I would like to know is if there is a daily or weekly limit. I mean, there's got to be some limit if it's a debit card, um, X number of dollars a day. I know things like Square Cash... Uh, I actually don't know if Venmo has a limit either. It has to, but I've transferred quite a bit of money through Venmo. Uh, I mean, I guess not quite a bit, always less than a thousand bucks, but I've never had any issues with Venmo and I haven't been able to find anything on their site that says, Hey, here's what the limit is. So I guess if anybody knows what the Venmo limit is, or if there is a limit, there's gotta be one, uh, go ahead and tweet us, uh, and let us know at Todd Vitter at Iceflow Studios. Um, but that would be interesting to know what the limit is. Cause I think square is like 250 bucks a week. Uh, if you don't put a social security number, or a tax ID number or something in. Um, so I just wonder, you know, for, for somebody who wants to stay as out of it as possible, if you're not putting in any information you're just using the service um kind of what's the limit is just the limit of your debit card i would imagine that's probably uh what it is 
Probably. Do you do you see yourself ever using a little microtransaction thing in a social network like this Facebook Messenger one? I mean, no, not really. Um, I I could there have been there have been a couple of times where something has happened and I can't even name what they are. Where I've been like, hey, when I get home, I'll PayPal you twenty bucks for whatever it is, you mm-hmm. know, whether or not it's been we went out to eat. But a lot of times, if you go out to eat, you're kind of, you know, m- uh, most of my friends we're not kind of split the check people. It's like somebody's picking up the check, you know what I mean? Um, so I don't really use it. I don't use even like the PayPal app to split checks and divide money that way. It's just not the way um, I do it. Um, I don't know. Maybe it would be the kind of thing where. Uh, again, depending on how instantaneous it is, if it is instantaneous, if it was something with my wife, you know, where I'm like, Hey, you need this 150 bucks, boom, I can transfer it over like that or vice versa. If we're just, you know, transferring little amounts of cash back and forth. Um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it, I don't, I don't know that it would be something I would work into business. Um, I like to, I still to this day, like to either go with credit cards, check or cash. Uh, there's yep. just like, it's baked in, it works, you know, signed, sealed, delivered, huge companies run that way. I don't need to worry about somebody being able to go in and redact a payment, you know, claim they didn't receive services and I have to fight with some third party electronic company, uh, to get the money that they owe. So I don't know that I would really use it on any kind of serious scale business. I mean, if there's something later on down the road that looks like it makes sense for like even Tutvid stuff, it, interacting with people on Facebook, but it seems like they're much more robust ways to handle. I mean, even just like, um, is there a, like Squarespace's, uh, financial, uh, provider, whatever you want to call them processor, is it swipe or slip or whatever I think it's so, called? Yeah. Swipe does most yeah. of the swipe. major websites. Right. So like swipe like and square would be stuff I would consider even over PayPal. Cause I can't stand PayPal. Uh, I would consider, you know, but this is, it's, you know, it is, it's like Venmo-y. It's very snap chat cashy um i don't know maybe if you have built up a following on facebook and you're asking for money or something like that or if it's something where like you know you have a bunch of kids who are very irresponsible and you're like all right kid i'm sending you a hundred bucks i could see how it'd be useful for something uh, like that yeah i suppose and it seems right now it's only friend to friend so if you're just if you have people following you on facebook they i don't believe they can send you money so if you're in transactions like that, you'll probably want to do PayPal or something like that. Like if you do Craigslist postings or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah, secure transactions. And that uh, <laughs> very, very nice job, Howard. You want to talk about this next story since it's sort of local to you? Yeah, this is, um, this is definitely not horrible. an exciting story. It's horrible. What was that? It's horrible. It is horrible. I, I live in a, a smaller city just north of Boulder. Actually, I live in Longmont, which is where this this occurred and it happened a few days ago. I've been getting a lot of messages from people since it happened because they assume I live in this town. So I have something to do with it. Um, a 26 year old pregnant woman was actually doing business on Craigslist. She wanted some baby clothes or she was, was she shell? No, she was trying to buy some baby clothes and she placed an ad on Craigslist and a woman came to her house. I, I would assume she was alone and I would assume nobody else was around this woman actually attacked her at her home, attacked the pregnant woman, stabbed her, cut out her fetus. This is just, I, I get chills just talking about this, but there's a point to this. And obviously her child is no longer alive. She's actually alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's recovering at the hospital and it did take place at the other side of the town that I live in. 
And of course, people are messaging me saying that I should get out of the call, get out of Colorado because it's an unsafe area, this, that, and the other thing. Having lived in Miami and Los Angeles, trust me, one incident in the town that I live in is not going to change. We don't even lock our doors here because it's just very safe. But the reason we're bringing this up, first of all, my thoughts go out to this, this woman who's been attacked, but I've done a lot of transactions on Craigslist. You've done a lot of transactions on Craigslist. And I understand this woman was pregnant and I can't really say anything against her because it's not the time and place to do so. But if anybody out there is considering selling or buying on Craigslist, it is so important that you take safety precautions when you're doing these transactions. Never, unless you know the person for many years, should you invite somebody to your house or go to somebody else's mm-hmm. house if you don't know them or yep. don't know what they're about. Every time that I have done a transaction on Craigslist, we've either met outside of an Apple store or in the parking lot of a very busy mall, mm-hmm. near a police station, anywhere in public in the daylight at a Starbucks that people can see you, people are around and you can very easily do this transaction. And if for one minute, if that other person says, eh, you know what, I'd rather meet you at your house or at my house or somebody somewhere else other than the place that you suggested, that's when you stop and say, you know what, this isn't for me. It's probably not worth the $7 I'm going to mm-hmm. get for selling this it's, little thing that It's I have. not worth the $700 you were going to get for it. That's true. You know what I mean? I, 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 yeah, like you said, meet in a public place. Um, it's kind of like the number one rule that you never – never meet at a house it's a really bad idea to do that um and i would i would add to that try to have at least one phone conversation with them get them on the yeah. phone hear their voice not a text message hear their voice you can sense a lot of things and if you get a bad feeling nope i'm not selling it you know what i mean and just be gutsy about it if it's it's not it like you said it's not worth it it's just not you know, if it's a $7,000 item you're selling, is it worth being raped or stabbed or killed or in this case, you know, losing your child? Not to mention, I mean, in order to have your, quote, baby removed, uh, there that sounds like, you know, you're getting like a back alley C-section. That doesn't sound like any fun either. You know what I mean? So, you know, for some baby clothes, not worth it. Just not worth it. I mean, yeah, like you said, meet in a public place, somewhere where – there's at least some sort of accountability. Um, and, you know, if they start hemming and hauling, there's always a buyer behind them. You know, every two days, put the new ad up. You're going to sell the stuff eventually. Um, you know, you don't need to sell it yesterday. And it's just, you know, I mean, unless you've got a, maybe a military background and a concealed carry permit um, and you feel very comfortable moving around um, in situations like that and you sort of know your stuff when it comes to working and dealing with people, oof. I mean, just stay away from stuff like that. And certainly being a pregnant female woman, I mean, you're already at just a, a, a mobility disadvantage. Uh, you probably don't want to put yourself uh, in that situation. Uh, but no, yeah, I'm not sure if this, this lady had a significant other in the picture, but if you don't and you're someone who can't move around, call somebody, call several people to meet with you and let the, let the other person know that you're dealing with that you and your friends will be meeting them. Yeah, and the just and like you said, be. just the whole meeting in public thing, you know. And if and even if it's you know the 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 grocery store parking lot, you know, take it a step further and say, let's meet by the front door of the grocery store. You know, anything yeah. to bring 
other outside people into this situation is just a good idea uh, in general. So that's just, you know, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's terrible. Yeah. So in lighter news, now that we got that out of the way, and be careful people out there, flying food selfies. Have you seen this? There's an article on Petapixel where this guy... The, the final result looks like the guy's flying through the air and there's food flying out of his hand and everything. He's like six like inches very from the ground. Yeah, it's very interesting how he put this together. It wasn't like a very well-timed photo, which would have been even better, I think. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of photography trips, tricks and Photoshop tricks that went into this. What do you take of it? I, I saw it. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, it's... It, the thing about a photo like this that always kind of like piques my interest and gains my respect, um, if you imagine beginning to invest the time that it takes to do something like this in a project, um, it's always kind of gutsy because even if you've done it before, you don't know how it's going to turn out. You know what I mean? So he's going, he's photographing his kitchen from the low angle, then he's trying to duplicate it as he jumps into the couch or whatever he's jumping into. Um, you know, he's, spending, he's spending all this time setting things up and getting the shots, and then you need to trust that when you get it into Photoshop, you're going to be able to pull it all together, and the light's going to be right, and the angle's going to be right, and everything's going to come together. Otherwise, you essentially have a garbage image. Um, now, obviously, it's never totally garbage because you're still, you know, it's, it's always going to be a learning experience. But it's definitely gutsy. So that was the first thing that comes to my mind uh, when I see a shot like this. And by no means is it a Pulitzer Prize winning photograph or anything crazy like that. Um, But it's definitely a a very fun shot. Uh, But no, it's really cool. It's always interesting um, to see people that will take these uh, sort of inanimate objects and work them into composites and make them uh, almost larger than life. You know what I mean? When he's got these pieces of toast that are flying through midair or whatever, the crackers, whatever it is. There's a photographer named uh, Glenn Melling, I think is his name. Glenn M-E-L-I-N-G. I think that's his name. He does all the superhero photography. Um, and and if you if you were to look at his Facebook, you would swear, and, and I'm, by the way, I'll put a link to this on my site, tutfid.com, if you go and find the episode six post uh and and as as the week's going howard and i'll be able to give you an exact url tutfit.com slash we geek slash episode six or whatever whatever it's gonna end up being um uh, but don't quote me on that um the there's this photographer he does this superhero photography and you would look at it and you'd be like wow that's amazing like he got that model lined up and dressed up like superman and then you see the behind the scenes stuff behind the composite and he's using like action figures but he's photographing them at full scale and then he's putting them into a scene as though it's a human being and retouching them and everything like that. And it's – I mean some of the photos are kind of eh. Um, and by eh, I still mean they're, they're pretty good. It's a pretty good eh. Uh, but some of them are just like, wow, really, really impressively good um, and some really interesting stuff. So that, that kind of stuff is always really interesting when it comes to these kind of composites where you're taking stuff like he's holding a, a Superman mug, I think actually is what he's holding, um, and photographing that and then flipping it around and moving it to, to the point where it would be as if it was flying out of his hand um, and all that sort of thing. So yeah, definitely really cool, uh, really yeah, cool idea. Yeah, the one thing or the few things that popped out for me in this photo is if you look, there's there's a GIF or a GIF, whatever you, however you pronounce it, yep. towards the bottom of this post, which you'll be able to find on the show notes. And it kind of shows the process of him compositing the different elements, the plate and the crackers and the mug on top of the background image. 
And the first few frames, it doesn't really look like anything special. It's really not much of a difficult edit, you know, extracting the guy from the background of the original photo, the crackers and everything. What really makes the photo look realistic, at least in my eyes, are the shadows. When he starts putting in the shadows on the coffee cup and the plate and on the floor, that's when you really start to see the depth. Before that, it looks completely fake. Yeah. But if you're doing any sort of compositing, you really want to make sure that the, the shadows and the highlights are matching the background image or the source image and that you're giving some depth because otherwise it just looks like the plate is either on the floor at a weird angle. Yeah. But once you put those shadows in, it finally starts to look like it's floating in the air and flying through the air. Yeah, no, I agree. And even with... Uh, one of the closer like cracker sandwich things that he did, um, you know, adds the motion blur to go along mm-hmm. with the shadow um, and things like that. And it just, you know, it really, it really, really works. Um, yeah, and Photoshop now has their new blur gallery. And they, well, they've had it for maybe a year or so. Yep. And they have a path blur and you can have an endpoint to that path blur. So if you match all that up throughout all the objects, you can really start to get a realistic looking result. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely, it's pretty cool. A little bit of a heavy vignette on it for my taste, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, you can't ask for everything. Uh, but, yeah, no, definitely a killer job and, and a cool photo. It's always neat when you see somebody uh, just kind of, you know, throw, it's almost like they're throwing technique to the wind. You know, this guy doesn't have a huge studio. It's just here in his kitchen in his living room, basically, and he's photographing this. Um, and, you know, he's just having fun and being creative. And, and uh, you know, it's not a paid job. It's nothing like that, but it's definitely cool. And, uh, you know, gets onto something like Petapixel and you get a bunch of attention from it. Um, and yeah, it's really neat. Awesome. Yeah. What do we have next? Uh, what we have next is actually another Petapixel article that kind of caught my eye, something that I brought up to you uh, before when we were talking about the show, before we kind of flipped on the mics. Uh, there's a, one of the more popular articles on Petapixel, at least this week, uh, well, since it's been up, I should say, is an article entitled 10 Beliefs That Suck the Life Out of Photographers. And I thought it was an interesting article because I immediately made the connection um, that this really isn't just photographers. This is a lot of just the visual artists and the creative types in general, graphic designers, writers, you name it. Um, a lot of the things they talk about are really interesting. And I'm just going to run down the list real quick, just read off the 10 things uh, that they sort of reference. Then we can just you know talk whatever talk about whatever jumps out at you, Howard. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give it a run. So here we go. Number one is we must have professional level, level gear to be a pro, uh, thumbs down on that. Uh, number two, we have to live in a big city, thumbs down on that. Uh, we must have a portfolio equal to Avedon or Mercury to even be considered, uh, Richard Avedon, famous photographer. Uh, basically we must have a killer portfolio, uh, legendary might I add to even be considered thumbs down on that. Uh, we must have thousands of hours of experience Thumbs down-ish on that. It's good to have experience. In the first 10,000 hours you do something, you you stink, right? Isn't that what they say? Uh, Number five, we must never work for free. Number six, we must have a huge internet following to be considered. Uh, Number seven, we obviously suck because the pros do it so easily. Number eight, all we need is dot, dot, dot. All we need is some, there's some holy grail that we're missing. Uh, number nine is professional photographers, graphic designers, writers, you name it, are special with special talents and special lives. And number 10, no one is able to make a living in this business anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of very interesting ones and a bunch of them pop out at me. And like you said, it's not just for photography, it's for graphic design, it's for art or whatever it might be. Starting at number one, because I think this one 
is really important. We must have professional gear, level gear to be a pro. And that is so far from the truth. There's a there's an interesting show that I watch or a segment of a show, Digital Rev. They have this cheap camera challenge segment on some of their shows. Great. It's on YouTube, yep. I think, if you look Great it up. Great segment, yep. And they get professional photographers and they give them the worst possible cameras the they worst. can find. They, yeah. I think one, they gave them like this Fisher Price <laughs> camera, 1.3 megapixels. It didn't have any manual controls and they gave it to the photographer. And looking at the images at the end of the show, you'd be surprised at what they can do with a camera like this because there's so much more that goes into these things. Proper lighting can make a huge difference if you don't have professional gear. Proper composition, yeah. uh, the model posing in certain ways, doing certain actions. And the same goes for graphic design. You don't need a Wacom Cintiq 24-inch with the you know the pressure sensitivity on the screen. You can get a regular little bamboo that's a few years old, and you won't have all the levels of pressure sensitivity, and you won't be able to see everything you're doing directly on the screen. But you can probably get the exact, almost the exact same results as you would with mm. a, a device that costs $3,000 with something that costs $150. Yeah, I mean, and to add to this, I would say to become a professional, you probably shouldn't have pro-level gear. The mm. reason I say that is because I've known of a number of photographers who have a good budget, good money to spend on gear, and they go and blow... 10, 20, I know a guy who spent almost $40,000 on camera gear and lights. He didn't know how to use it. And years and years later, he still didn't know how to use it because part of the problem that he was running into was he felt like because he had all this gear, he had to use all the gear. Yep. And when you fall into that, you never learn how to just use your normal camera with your basic lens. And I'm reaching here to grab a small camera with a 50 millimeter lens I have sitting here on my desk. You don't learn how to use this and one light before you learn how to use six lights and you know your $8,000 camera with the $3,000 lens on it. Learn the simple stuff first. Um, you know, learn how to use one light, get a 60 inch umbrella, shoot through that, you know, with your computer, start on a PC. You don't need a Mac to be a professional graphic designer. I, when I first got into graphic design, I honestly had a, a week or two like battle with myself thinking, will I ever be able to be good if I don't buy a Mac? Like it was an honest question that I sweated about, I thought about. Um, and, and the short answer is, yeah. In fact, a lot of times this is your jumping stone to getting all of this, you know, more robust gear. Uh, but you'd be surprised at the number of agencies that use PC for a lot of this stuff. It's kind of crazy uh, when you think about it. Uh, so a lot of times not having the professional gear and being forced to work your way up, that limitation allows you to learn in little bite-sized chunks at a time and actually ends up making you much more of a professional um, because a, a, a fancy camera, a fancy computer makes the artist no more than a fancy sh uh, stove makes a chef a better cook. You That's need to, true. You need to learn how to use your stuff. And going back to the Wacom Cintiq example for a second, I have known so many people who have bought either the high-end Intuos or even a Cintiq for $3,000 and they don't know how to draw. And I'm thinking, what's the point? I mean, I can kind of relate to that because I have a, a Cintiq and I don't, I don't really use it for art purposes or mm -hmm. I do a little bit of photo retouching, but I probably wasted money on this thing. But if you want to buy something like this, 
and you don't really know how to draw, it's not going to make you a better artist. Grab a piece of paper, grab a pencil, yeah. Grab even a napkin if you go, have to. Go and to posemaniacs.com and start doing the 10-second sketches for 30 yeah. minutes a day. <laughs> start analyzing. Walk, walk around in the world. Start analyzing shadows, highlights, how things reflect off someone's face, how the nose contours. Learn how to draw before you spend $3,000 on something that's going to... It will eventually take your art to the next level, but it won't unless you have the basics down pat. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so yeah, must have professional level gear to be a pro. Uh, if we were playing Mythbusters, that would be a myth, right? Yep, certainly busted. Uh, busted, exactly. There you go. Uh, number two, we have to live in a big city. Uh, I mean, Howard, you're from the Toronto area. I'm from the Philadelphia area. Both cities have about two, two and a half million people, right? So mm -hmm. similar size cities. Uh, we do live fairly close to big cities. I mean, now you're outside of Denver, uh, which isn't quite as big. Uh, but really, the stuff that we've done, at least with our tutorial sites, we could have been doing from Timbuktan or, you know, the back backwoods of you know northern idaho or something you know what i mean yep. uh now as far as some of the photographic work uh, you still don't really need to live in a big city does it help to be close to a big city of course but when it comes to photography and design you can always design and photograph shoot photos as if you were in these big magazines already um there's a story of a photographer i heard a while ago i was just relating it to this guy i was talking to today actually this guy was saying, hey, look, I want to shoot the World Series of uh, baseball. I want to shoot the Baseball World Series, but here I am stuck in whatever town, wherever, shooting t-ball. And then one day it hit him, why don't I shoot this t-ball game like it's the World Series? You know, mm -hmm. I'll get some of the gear. I'll copy the angles. I'll study what these photographers do. He did that, and within three years, guess what? He was shooting the World Series. There you go. So a lot of times living in a big city uh, is not all it's cracked up to be. There are a lot more expenses. Living in a big city can be great. Uh, you know, there's there's no uh, denying that. Um, but you can get a ton of work in big cities um, and, and things like that, especially as a graphic designer uh, where a lot of the work you're doing is really – I mean you could be living in Thailand and working for an agency in San Francisco and be completely fine. Uh, as long as you're willing to work with the funky hours. Yeah, and with the internet now, you really don't have to be physically anywhere, maybe for meetings or so. But I work for a pretty large company in Los Angeles, and I'm based in the Denver area. And all my work is done through Google Hangouts and Slack and this, that, and the other thing. And even, like you said before, with our tutorial stuff, I started in Toronto, and then I moved to Miami, and then I moved to Colorado, Los Angeles, uh, and then back to Colorado. And... I've been doing the exact same thing throughout all of those cities. So you really don't have to be anywhere physically in order to get all this work done. Of course, again, you will have to have meetings from time to time, but that's when you hop on a plane, take an hour or two flight and have a meeting, go home and continue doing your thing. Yeah, and if you do great work, uh, number one, the work will be there even in the big cities. And mm -hmm. you'll end up being an asset to the companies. So they'll just say, hey, look, we've got a plane ticket and a hotel for you. Uh, yep. Come on out. You know, we'll take care of you. Um, so it, it ultimately, like, do good work. There, there, there's how to infuse life into your career. Do good work. Take criticism. Ask for criticism. Build, learn, um, and and don't step ahead of yourself. Which goes back to the whole professional level gear thing. So number three, uh, we must have a portfolio equal to Avedon or Mercury to even be considered. We must have a great portfolio to even be considered. 
Uh, I'll throw this one to you, Howard. What do you think? Uh, well, it depends on what you're looking for. I mean, if you're looking to play in the major league, then yeah, you have to be a professional, an amazing baseball player. But the truth of the matter is, if you're looking at people like Avedon and McCurry, who, by the way, I have zero idea who they are, but I'm assuming they're fancy pants photographers. If you're looking to be them, then yeah, you have to have an absolutely amazing portfolio. But if I want to be the next Tom Cruise, I better be a damn good actor. But the, the truth is 99% of people are doing just fine without this magical portfolio. Now, obviously, there's you have to have some sort of a decent portfolio to get any sort of work. If it looks like you're painting in Microsoft Paint, you're probably not going to get anything. But there are thousands upon hundreds of thousands, probably millions of companies out there who are looking for photographers. They're looking for graphic designers. They obviously can't afford people like Avedon and McCurry, whoever they are. Well, I think, so I, I, don't they think will... I don't think they're with us anymore, but yeah. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> they, so they're not An- going to be hiring Ansel them. Adams. Let's go with an Ansel Adams. I know right? him. Where it's, we're talking more about the legendary uh, aspect. <laughs> to interrupt yeah, so, you here for a second, yeah. parlay, transition, segue. I think these are the words we need to focus on. Go work for, do do a design package or a photography something or other for the local pizza shop. Mm-hmm. Turn that into something for the local city hall. Turn that into something for some sort of pitch for a big local magazine. Turn that into a pitch for some big company in the nearest city. And then as your portfolio builds, you don't start out in preschool and jump you know, going back to the major leagues, like you said, you don't start out in T-ball and jump to, you know, the New York Yankees. You go T-ball, middle school, high school, legion, college, low A, A, double A, triple A, major leagues, right? Um, so uh, stop looking. The, the, one of the fastest ways to demoralize yourself is comparing yourself to your peers, which is always a bad thing to do. I mean, it is always a bad thing to do, Um so build your portfolio. You're not going to get picked up for huge jobs immediately. So stop trying for those huge jobs. I mean, you can try for them, I guess, but don't be disappointed when they say, "Nah, we're not going with you or when you hear nothing back from them. Parlay. Start small and turn that into a bigger job, bigger job, bigger job. Every once in a while you hear those stories about those people who like trade a Sharpie for a Porsche, right? Yeah. They use Craigslist over the course of two years or three years. It takes two or three years, but eventually you've traded that Sharpie for a freaking Porsche, you know what I mean? You can't. I need to do this. You can't trade a Sharpie straight up for a Porsche, but you parlay the Sharpie into the Porsche. So yep. it's a step at a time, and don't let yourself get demoralized. So, do we and have? It to- does move into number four. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, having shoot, thousands shoot of hours of experience, if you want to get hired by a company who's going to hire someone like Avedon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you do need thousands of hours of experience, but if you just want to start small and make a local brochure packet for your local pizza shop, there's no way that they're going to require somebody who has been designing for 17 years. Yeah, they can if you afford have it. A, yeah, exactly. If you have decent design skills and you've worked hard at it, at it if you even have, you have like, I don't know, 10 hours of experience, well, that's probably not very much. Eh, but I've seen some bad pizza logos and pizza true, shop yeah. menus, so 10 you're hours. You're to get hired. So again, <laughs> don't start huge. Don't think you're going to make it to the majors right away. Start at T-Ball and work your way up. Yeah, you're not going to design a presidential ad campaign your first time out. Um, you know, yeah, start much smaller. It's the same exact thing with a portfolio. 
build, you know, start with the smaller jobs. And over the course of two or three years, you're going to build up that 10,000 hours of experience or whatever it is. Um, you know, just like you wouldn't want your pilot to be flying on his first 10 hours when you take that flight from here to <laughs> Los Angeles, uh, you know, he starts slow and he builds up his hours. So do the same thing. Uh, number five, we must never work for free. Um, and there are, I know a lot of people who say you should never work for free. Um, and I'm kind of torn on this. Uh, it, it's kind of never say never. You know what I mean? For the most part, don't work for free. Um, but you need to be smart and you need to learn. And there's a certain there's a certain amount of me telling you never work for free. It's just not going to work. I mean I've done jobs for free before and I think everybody does because you get sucked in – for a couple reasons. Sometimes you get sucked in because somebody says, hey, you'll get great experience. You'll get great mm -hmm. exposure, which um, virtually never works. Mm -hmm. But me, more than anything else, I get sucked in just because I really want to do the job. I love doing – like I love doing this stuff. Whether or not it's web, graphic, or photo, there have been times where I've been sucked in just because I want to do the job so badly that I'm willing to work for free. And it has the side effect of being an amazing job, an amazing experience, and good skill-building stuff. Um, but a photographer that I heard uh, a number of years ago, a guy by the name of Zach Arias, he's an Atlanta-based photographer, um, he basically said, when you're starting out, just charge 50 bucks for a gig. Um, and part of the reason that he uh, was proposing this $50 a gig thing for photographers, and the same could be for a designer, you know, that pizza shop logo, that pizza shop menu. Most people can afford 50 bucks, and $50 is going to allow you to spend a reasonable amount of time on something as, you know, like a young, I'm just breaking into this business, either a kid or a student just out of college. Uh, it allows you to make a couple dollars, sort of pay for your time. Um, and still allow you to work as almost as though there's no budget. You know what I mean? So there's really no pressure. You're not charging somebody five thousand dollars. It's fifty bucks. You know, but you're not getting nothing out of. It. You're still getting that experience, and arguably you're getting a little bit more valuable experience because there is a little bit more of a cash exchange. So there's value. I would say rather than work for free, tell somebody, look, I need twenty, forty, sixty bucks for that. You know what I mean? Most people, if they value you at all. They're going to say, all right, we can afford 40 bucks. You know, we can afford 60 or $100, whatever. I would set a price and just figure, you know, if I'm charging 50 bucks for a logo, it's not going to be the greatest logo in the world. I'm not burning the, you know, burning the place down with $50 logos. Um, but, you know, if I can do six of them in a week, I've just made $300. You know, which is better than doing six logos in a week and making zero dollars. And what are you doing? You're doing exactly the the two points before that we talked about. You're building a portfolio and you're logging hours of experience uh, on all on all facets of the business part of it, collecting the money, contracts, blah 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 blah, and actually designing stuff or photographing stuff. Yeah, we spoke a little bit about this. I think it was the first or second episode of the We Geeks podcast about designing for free or getting logos for free or something like that. And just in general, I know there's situations where you could probably do something for free, but I've just noticed over the last few years, it is, it really is poison for the whole industry when someone works for free. There are so many people now offering their services for free. And not only does it not give you any money, but it also sends the message to companies, whether they be big companies or small companies, that it's okay to not charge for things like graphic design. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that in 20 years, there won't be any graphic designers because no one's paying for them. But there's so many things being outsourced now to places like India. And I don't think those outsourced design firms are that good. 
They're just being used because they're very cheap because a lot of these companies are not willing to spend money on quality yeah. design. So every time you offer your services for free, you're, you are sending the message mm -hmm. that other companies or all companies should also look for free work. Yeah, no, I agree. I, yeah, I think we talked about the $5 logo or something, mm -hmm. right? Wasn't that what Fiverr, I mean? yeah. Yeah. All right, so number six, we must have a huge internet following to be considered. Um, which is, I don't, I don't know. I, that's never honestly even entered into the equation for me. It, it doesn't just go back to the whole do great work and yep. who cares if you have five people who see you or not. I should have enough confidence in my eye as a creative director. If I see something that's amazing, I don't care if nobody sees it. That just means we're going to be even more breakthrough when, when we unveil you to the world. Um, so having a huge internet following, your work should be able to stand on its own. You know, I know yeah, some, and there, and there's, pro there are probably, very famous photographers and very famous designers who don't really have an internet pre presence as all, at all because yep. if you have great work, companies will know who you are. There are networks other than the internet where people mm -hmm. know each other, know great photographers, great designers, and they will get in contact with you if they want you. Yeah, and that's not to say you shouldn't put yourself out there. You absolutely should. Right. And it's also not to discount a huge internet following because there are guys like Terry Richardson who have amassed this huge following. Now, I don't think he gets his work because of the huge internet following, but his work is eh. You know, I mean, it's, it's his own style that he's developed or whatever, but it's very like just ring light flash blast into, mm. the, into the subject's face. It's not very flattering at all. Um, but he makes it interesting and he has this internet following um, and all of it leads to, you know, jobs and things like that. So if you can if you can amass a huge internet following, great. But, you know, we can't all be famous. Otherwise, nobody's famous. Right. So certainly don't hang your hat on that. Uh, and then, Howard, I'll throw number seven over to you. Yeah. Number seven. We obviously suck because the pros do it so easily. You know. When I first started creating Photoshop tutorials, and I went, I don't know if I would consider myself a pro at this point, um, but I was at, go, go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash iceflowstudios, sort my videos by oldest to newest, and watch my first few videos. You will cringe. I watch them sometimes, just kind of remind myself of how I was back in the day. I was terrible. But over the course of seven, eight, nine years, every single day I tried to better myself either the way I speak in front of the microphone or the way I script my videos, the way I record or edit, every single day I try to make improvements. And eventually, I got to where I am now where I, I guess you can consider me pro professional. Adobe hires me from time to time to teach mm. on their official portal. So I'm at that level where you would consider, I guess, a pro. Yeah. Nobody starts as a professional. I mean, look at any, but any professional photographer's work when they first started, I guarantee you it sucked. So start small. I mean, this, all of this kind of relates, yeah. all these questions or all these points. Start small, improve on one little thing every single day, and it may take two, three, five, ten years to get to that point, but if you keep at it, you will at some point be amazing. Yeah, and you know, thinking that it all comes easily to pros, um, that's a massive misconception. Yeah. I mean, there's times where I'll sit down to start a project and I'm I have no idea what I'm doing here. <laughs> I don't know where I'm gonna start, I don't know where I'm gonna finish, I don't know what the heck is going on. Um, and and I there's an, an incredible photographer, one of my favorite photographers, his name's Jeremy Cowart, photographs mm. a ton of celebrities. 
he went on to Creative Live, um, which if you're not familiar with it, creativelive.com, it's incredible stuff. It's re- Well, not incredible. It's, it's really, really cool stuff that they do. They had him on a number of years ago, and watching him, he didn't really script anything, and he just sort of like floundered around on camera. He was trying all kinds of new things. He wasn't really getting anything earth-shattering. It was kind of just eh, you know? And watching him do that, it didn't make me like him any less. It just, one of the things that it taught me was just, you know what, even the pros take bad pictures. But here's what pros don't do. Professionals don't show the bad pictures. Professionals don't put the crappy logo into their portfolio, even if the client picked that logo. Professionals leave that junk aside. One of the most important things about becoming a professional is learning how to edit yourself. Disconnect yourself emotionally from your designs or your photographs and be able to put up just the good stuff. If you have a strong portfolio of 10 logos, that's better than 30 logos and only 10 of them are good. Because like I know I've said it on the show before, your portfolio is only as strong as the weakest piece in the portfolio because any potential client is looking at your portfolio and thinking, I could be the next worst piece in this guy's portfolio. If everything in your portfolio is bulletproof and amazing, so what if they're the next worst piece? It's still amazing, mm-hmm. right? So um, the pros don't do it easily. They just learn how to edit themselves. That's really uh, all it is. Uh, so number eight, all we need is blank. And I think this circles right back around to point number one about having professional gear. Um, there's no holy grail to any of this stuff. There's no, uh, there's nothing like that. Um, it's just you know the hard work. All here's all you need. All you need is grit. When you get knocked down, stand back up, jump back into the fray. That's all you need. Right? Yep. I mean, I don't have much else to add to that. Right. I mean, that's pretty um, simple. There, so there's never one thing that you need that you're going to say, this will make me a better X. Right. It even, really even, won't. Going back even, to the. No, go ahead. Going back to the cheap camera photography series that Digital Rev did. One, one of them that I remember, I don't remember the photographer's name, but she's a great photographer and she had one of those very terrible cameras. And the lighting wasn't great in the area that she was in, but she found like a cup and she used that cup to refract the sunlight onto the model. And it's like, and it looked so much better. It's like, you really don't need professional lighting because you have things around you if you don't have access to all those things. So use your creativity, use the things that are around you, and then eventually you'll, you'll, get x whatever it might be you need, you think you need right exactly no i agree so number nine wrapping this thing up here while coming down the home stretch professional photographers or you could say graphic designers are special with special talents and special lives uh howard i'll let you take this one i, uh, I just want to i want to laugh are special i don't think so i'm sure you know they work their butts off these professional photographers it seems like their lives are glamorous it kind of goes I can probably more relate to the whole YouTube space thing. I know a lot of people who are making literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars every single year making YouTube videos. And it seems like their life is fantastic and they have these amazing talents and they do have talent because that's how they got to these places. But they work all day, every day. And it's not something that they could just turn the camera on and start recording and make this masterpiece video. And it's the yeah. same thing with photographers. They don't just grab their camera, point it at a model, and all of a sudden you have something that you're going to put in the Smithsonian. There's a lot of work that has to be done to get to that point. So, mm. yeah, they definitely have talent, but I don't think for most of these 
uh, fields, it's not something that you're really, I mean, to an extent you're born with it, but you can learn proper lighting, you can learn proper editing, you can learn composition, all of these things that someone like Jeremy Cowart, that was his name, right? Mm -hmm. My mind just exploded. <laughs> um, all these things that he uses on a daily basis to create the masterpieces that he releases, you can all learn that. Absolutely. Just spend the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that whole, the, the old cliche, uh, uh, talent or hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, right? Uh, so, uh, like, the special talents, special lot. It's really, I mean, it just goes back to what I just talked about, just grit, determination. Get up and do it. You know, you throw enough mud against the wall, something's going to stick. It reminds me of an old story that I heard. Uh, the, the old British band, The Who, um, mm. they had a manager who told them, stop trying to write hits. Just write songs and the hits will come. Yep. It's, it's that guy. Stop trying to take that one Pulitzer Prize winning, you know, Sports Illustrated cover photo. Stop trying to design that logo that's going to make it to the front page of Logo Pond or whatever. You know, stop trying to, you know, design that earth shattering, the next Nike logo. Just design the logo you're working on. Put your all into it. Um, no matter how big or low budget it is, put everything you got into it and let the chips fall where they may. Um, and, you know, and then do it over and over again. Being great is just being consistently good. So start by being good and then you'll end up being great later on down the road. So there's nothing special. There's no special talent. No special. The special life is just that they're determined. I, re I honestly, honestly believe that. I, and I believe that applies to a, a lot of sort of the freelance business The you know, stop sitting around, shut off Netflix, you know, uh, stop cruising the news sites or social media and get to work. Um, that's really what it comes down to. And then Howard, you want to wrap us up with number 10 here? Sure. Number 10 is no one is able to make a living in this business anymore. And it may seem that way because again, a lot of people going back to what we were talking about earlier, a lot of people are charging absolutely nothing for logos and you know, that's their fault. If they're going to charge $5 for a logo, you know what? They're not going to make a, a living, but there are, a, there again, there are millions of companies out there who will spend money on logos or websites or for you to f photograph their food that they create. And you're just not hearing about all these graphic designers and photographers who are taking on these jobs and are making yeah. a living because they may not be the Jeremy Cowarts of the world or the other people who are <laughs> right. I don't know. Give there's me an the, example. Oh, there's, there's a, I mean, well, you can just do it in design space. I mean, there's, I mean, or YouTube space, right? Not everybody's a PewDiePie or whatever that guy's name right. is. Not yeah. everybody's a, uh, Philip DeFranco. Mm -hmm. Uh, not everybody is a Marquez Brown Lee, you know, and the more time you spend being jealous of people like that or whatever, uh, you know, the less time you actually have to go out and do it yourself. Here's what you got to remember. Somebody has got to be the next one of them. Right? right. I mean, they're not they're not going to be there forever. Uh, so the more you, you look at them instead of chase them uh, or, or do something different, um, you know, the more you kind of put yourself behind the eight ball. So, I mean, not being able to make a living in this business. Here's the secret to that. There's always the possibility to make a living in virtually any business. You're just not putting yourself out there right or your work isn't good enough or you haven't built the market the way that it needs to be built. Um, there's, a, there's a marketer. I think her name is Sarah... Parker, I want to say. I can't remember. I can't remember what her full name is. Uh, it's something like that. She's like this photographer, marketer extraordinaire. And she's this whole thing she talks about about boutique marketing. Stop trying to, to combat people and, and compete on price. There's always a Walmart out there. Instead, 
add value. You know, say, look, uh, X client, if I design this logo from you for you, uh, if you pay me the six hundred dollars that I want to design the logo, I can't cut my price down to $450 like you want, but what I can do is I can make you a Facebook profile photo, I can make you a Facebook cover image, a Google cover image, LinkedIn cover image, and YouTube banner in addition to the logo and I won't charge you any more. So what does that mean? It means you're going to work a little bit more, you're still going to get your $600, you haven't devalued your logo design work at all, and the client still feels like they're making out with something additional. So you sort of build this boutique marketing about yourself where you 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 sort of cut your teeth on your customer service, be there for your client make it special go the extra mile do that extra whatever even if you are doing it for free right because you're not doing it for free you're building relationships and that's something Walmart doesn't have right Walmart's a very impersonal transaction when you go there you put your head down when you get into the store you go get your stuff you check out you get out of there you're not standing around talking to the cashier you know chatting them up about you know whatever happened with you know Bob and Sally's kid and the the you know the little league whatever going on down the street so make it personal People love personal. And with the web and Twitter, I mean, celebrities, right? They've never been more personal than they are now today. Uh, so there's always a living. You just aren't doing something right. And you need to take an honest look at yourself and stop making excuses. I know it's difficult to hear somebody say that. And trust me, I talk to business owners fairly frequently when I talk about you know designing for them or, or doing photography work for them. And a lot of them have really bad ideas of what, you know, like, hey, I'm doing this and that's right. And I'll say, eh, not really. No, 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 it's working for me. It is. Well, then why is your business failing? You know? Um, there's a show a friend of mine uh, told me about called Kitchen Disasters or Kitchen Nightmares or Kitchen Somethings mm-hmm. where the chef goes around and he literally has to fight with these people about their business trying to correct it when their business is failing. Yep. And he's he's got to be thinking to himself, that why did you even call me in? If you exactly. had it all right from to begin with, why did you even call me in? So instead of you know making the excuse that there's just no money to be made, um, how about trying to make yourself – one of the top 10% in that field. If you're getting into graphic design, work yourself, refine yourself, drive yourself to being a top 10% graphic designer. There'll always be work for you. Always. Yeah. And there, there's so, my dogs barking so away. Are, so what is They're that? They're telling that, us that, the podcast coming to yeah, an end. Yeah, I was going to say, is it signaling the end of the show? Is that yeah. So we do have two questions nippy. this week. I'm actually, I think we should leave that first one for next week because it's a longer one. Okay. Someone wants to know, how Iceflow Studios and Tutfit came to be and how we came up with the branding. And they want to know a little bit more about us, which I think is a whole other subject. We're going to answer that next week. But I think A. Wright Tech from Twitter, at A. Wright Tech, um, he wants to know, what is the best way to learn web design? Uh, the best way to learn web design, (laughs) you're asking me? Sure. the, The best way to learn web design, I would say, is... Number one, trial and error. Uh, mm-hmm. Number two, quality blogs online. Um, if you're talking about web design, start with a site like CSSTricks.com. You can learn a lot there. Um, I'm not really a guy who goes out and picks up a book on technical stuff. I mean, I say that when I've got a shelf full of like technical and photography books behind me here, but that's more like a, a shelf of past mistakes more than anything because it's just very, I don't know, there's something about it that's very difficult for me to learn that way. Um, stuff like Tuts Plus, they have a lot of web design tutorials. Uh, I have some web design tutorials on tutvid.com. When it comes to the graphical side of it, I have stuff on tutvid.com. Howard, you have stuff on icefluestudios.com. There's sites like Linda. 
lynda.com. There, again, a site like lynda.com tends to usually be better when it comes to the graphics side of things Um, just because it's very difficult to learn coding in the abstract. Um, You really want to sort of create projects for yourself. Um, You know, again, this comes back to the $50 project. Go to your local pizza shop or candy store or whatever and say, hey, let me build you a website. I'll do it for 200 bucks and just jump into it. Tell them it's going to take three months and spend that time and learn about everything from, you know, how to FTP to a server to writing basic HTML to designing graphics for the website. Um, so that's what I would say. I mean, assign your or just if you're self-motivated, assign yourself a project and force yourself to build a site. Uh, or, or if it's not a website you're talking about, if it's JavaScript application or something with, you know, Flex or Flash Builder, if you're doing that, um, probably should consider a different language. But, um, you know, some sort of web application, an iPhone app, whatever it is jump in a lot of this stuff is actually much easier to work with than you're probably imagining Uh, a lot of these web languages to do very basic things is pretty simple and it's a very high risk high reward or not really high risk high reward but it's just a very high reward proposition because the first time you do something and you see whoa when I press that button on my iPhone it sends the email you know or you know I just built this this little JavaScript application that loads you know whatever a Facebook feed or, or an Instagram feed maybe I should say into uh, my website uh, it's very cool to see that kind of thing happen. So that's what I would say. Assign yourself projects um, and then do research online. Again, stuff like CSSTricks.com. Um, and there's oh, there's so many websites. I can't even think of them all off the top of my head. But there are so many. Uh, WP Beginner is like a, a really cool beginner WordPress site. Tuts Plus has a great development section. Um, there's a bunch of different JavaScript sites like Treehouse Code or something. I forget what it's called. Uh, is, is another great site. Um, there's, there's a lot of design or, or I'm sorry, coding centric blogs out there. Um, but the place to start is create a project for yourself because then you have context. You have something to look up on Google. How do I build a sidebar for my website? Right. You know, that, that's something to begin working with. How do I, uh, you know, create an image gallery? You, again, you have something you're working with. So that's what I would say as far as, um, learning web design and then take clients. Don't be afraid to take clients. Um, and, and be generous with the amount of time you give yourself. Tell a client, this is going to take three or four months. And if they balk at that, just say, I'm sorry, it's just what it's going to take. You know, and if they don't go with you, they don't go with you. But Yeah, and it also comes down to what do you really want from your website. Like if you want something super basic, then maybe something like Squarespace or like a WordPress website will be more than enough for you. Or if you want something a little bit more advanced, that you don't have to worry about the coding so much, you can use Adobe Muse. They have an amazing new program that allows you to drag and drop and add conditions without any coding at all. But if you do kind of want to dive into the coding and start learning CSS and HTML, what I did just a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, I knew nothing about HTML and CSS. But I made up my mind to completely redo the iceflowstudios.com website. I started with a WordPress template because it had some elements that I really liked. And then I, I told myself, I'm going to completely redo this website based on my vision. And I just analyzed every single part of it. What allows this section over here to have a drop shadow? Or what allows this section to do this? Or the, what allows the menu bars to drop down like that? And I started recreating those things on my own. Because when you start doing something, it just clicks. If you're reading a book, I mean, everyone's different. But if you're just reading a book, it doesn't really click at least not for me Mm -hmm. but if you start doing it and then you'll have questions along the way 
like how do I add uh, a stroke around this image that I have on my website? And you may not know that. So you go to something like CSS Tricks, you look up how to add a stroke, you apply it to your website or the image, and all of a sudden you're starting to learn these things step by step. And you know, several years later, I can now pretty much code a complete website, HTML and CSS without really having to go to these other websites because I just dove in and I did it. I didn't read any books. I did read a few things on a few websites when I needed it, but just do it. Yeah. So with that, we need the dog to bark to signal the end of the show. That's it. Dogs actually, they just passed out. They barked and passed out. Just a rough Ready to wrap things up. So yeah, no, I mean, so we, we talked about living above an Apple store, Facebook's payments feature for the Messenger app, the, the horrible story about the Colorado woman whose child was killed and cut from within her, or however they did that. The flying food selfies, always fun, right? And then, of course, uh, we spent a bunch of time talking about these 10 beliefs that suck the life out of, maybe we could retitle it, suck the life out of creatives in general, uh, if, there you go. if you're okay using the term creatives, that is. So, yeah, so this this show will, will be up Friday, and the next show we'll just be doing uh, next week, doing the every Friday thing. If you have questions for the show, you can tweet them at me at tutvid, that's T-U-T-V-I-D, or you can send them to Howard at Iceflow Studios. Just Oh, speaking of questions, every single week we do give away a $25 gift card. That's correct. To either Amazon, Amazon or iTunes. If you're in the U.S., you can choose iTunes. If you're anywhere else, including the U.S., you can choose Amazon. And this week, I guess we'll yep, just give by, it away to A. Wright from Twitter. By default. We if have you are listening, by, yeah, by default. So get your questions in. If you do want to win, this week we only had one, well, we delayed a question, but, you know, you're going to win a $25 gift card. There's a good chance. So A. Wright, I think his name is Austin Wright. If you're listening to this, get in touch with me. Actually, the last two winners have not gotten in touch with me yet. So we want to make sure you're listening to the show. So listen to the show. Find out if you're winning. Send me a tweet or a Facebook message. That's right. And submit your questions for future shows. And as always, thanks again to Valdis on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Float. No. Scratch that. Patreon.com slash WeGeeks. He is our 20, first $25 patron. And if you do want to contribute to the show, make sure we're continuing this amazing podcast. I think it's amazing. Uh, to each his own. Patreon.com slash weekings. That's it. That's it, guys. See you next week. See ya.